Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the orchestrated bar brawl, bankrupting the Boy Scouts, and Feminexit, and bail reform, Boy Scouts, and borders. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Yesterday on our show, Congressman Louis Gohmert joined us, and one thing he told me I did not know, we're going to get around talking about the First Five topic in a moment, but one thing he told me I did not know was that when President Obama realized that there was not going to be, at least at that time, a President Hillary Clinton, one of the very conscious steps he and his underlings took was to change the status of hundreds and maybe thousands of people in Washington who supported his agenda, who were part of the political appointment class, and so their relationship with the government was Appointment only, meaning the president or some other person in, in power could remove them from their employment immediately. They were, they were not employees with the protection of civil service. President Obama transitioned hundreds, and I think he said thousands, of people in Washington who were committed to the radical Obama agenda and moved them from political appointment status to employee status with the goal of making these people harder to remove, make it harder for President Trump as he came on board in January 2017 to put forth the agenda that he ran on. So President Trump runs into troubles in Washington when he is trying to move his agenda forward, even within the White House. As you heard, if you, were, if you didn't hear yesterday, you should go back and listen to the interview yesterday with Congressman Louis Gohmert, but making the point that it's very difficult for President Trump to do many things he wants to do because he's surrounded by people who are longtime political types, longtime left-wingers, supporter of the left-wing agenda of President Obama, and they remained in the administration, in the White House, in the, in the Department of Justice, in the Department of State, all over the federal government. One term often used to describe these people is deep state. Just the basic idea that they're there to push forward their agenda. They do not care what the agenda is of the president, who is supposed to be the commander in chief and the, the head of the executive branch. They don't really care that it was the agenda that he ran on that the American people liked and voted for. It's why he won the presidency. So you have this happening in Washington. I had not realized that it happened. but. With the first five today, um, I called it the orchestrated bar brawl, and bar, B-A-R-R, -R, is referring to Attorney General Barr. It's the same kind of thing, and I want to point out something we didn't get to yesterday with Louis Gohmert, but it relates to the ongoing battle in Washington related to the Attorney General and the Department of Justice. In short, as we went over yesterday, when the four lawyers filed a pleading, the four Department of Justice lawyers filed their sentencing recommendation with the court in the case of Roger Stone and recommended seven to nine years as prison time for Roger Stone. That was a direct contradiction to the agreement that had been made internally inside the Department of Justice for high level cases like this, that this 
decision that those four lawyers made was inconsistent with the marching orders they had received as a result of the high-level discussion in the Department of Justice about what to recommend for Roger Stone's sentencing. In short, the Department of Justice, the, the people in charge, had decided, and, and actually Attorney General Barr wasn't part of this, but they had decided that the sentence, the uh, recommendation from the Department of Justice should simply be whatever the court thinks is right. Leave it in the discretion of the court, the judge. And so these four lawyers decided you know, we don't really care because who, who their loyalty is to is to Obama, the leftist, the deep state mindset, and they just weren't about to listen to the attorney general and the uh, superiors at the Department of Justice. So because of that episode and then Attorney General Barr stepped in and said, wait a minute, that's not what we agreed on. We agreed, you know, so they withdrew that sentencing recommendation and submitted a revised one and to essentially say to the court what the DOJ superiors had already decided, which is in this case, we're going to ask the court to use its own discretion. I'm reminding you of those details because I want to get around then to where we are. In Washington right now and among the ruling elite Democrat media mob, there is hysteria in Washington about the idea that Attorney General Barr has allegedly shown his true colors, that he really is not there to, to administer justice, he's really not there to apply the rule of law, he is there to do whatever Donald Trump says he should do, and he's there to protect Donald Trump and his affiliates, his colleagues, his people who find themselves under the scrutiny of the Department of Justice. So the entire thing is getting blown up in Washington and in the media, in the, you know, the left-wing media and in the elite ruling class circles, this momentum is building that is pushing for Attorney General Barr to resign over this, to resign, and or to have the House consider this as a possible basis for yet another impeachment proceeding, at least against Attorney General Barr in that position. He can be impeached. So an impeachment of Attorney General Barr and or maybe even extending to President Trump. So one thing the media does when they decide that, you know, this is they've got something they can go on, the leftists, the Democrat media mob in this country, they've got something they can go on. They can go on this, look what happened, you know, uh, Attorney General Barr interfered with the prosecution of a Trump associate, Roger Stone, and in the midst of all this, to be clear, President Trump tweeted that seven to nine years sound like an awfully long sentence given what Stone was convicted for. What Attorney General Barr said in his interview was that he had already, they already made the decision inside the DOJ to not recommend any sentence, leave it to the judge, and he'd already become aware that the uh, four attorneys who filed the pleading had asked for seven to nine years. He'd already decided that we have to intervene. He, the higher level of the Department of Justice, to say that's too much. So all of that had happened, and they had decided they're going to move forward and tell the court, no, actually, ignore that previous filing by the four you know, rogue lawyers, and this is, in fact, what the DOJ is recommending, which is no sentence recommendation at all from the DOJ. Getting to the point that Barr, this decision by Barr is being characterized as his being manipulated by Trump and is now there's a movement uh, toward either urging Attorney General Barr to resign or to be impeached. And I'm getting around to the same thing that the same mindset that is behind the scenes when Obama decided once he realized there wasn't going to be a President Hillary Clinton 
decided he was going to move these people from political positions where they could be terminated at will to employment positions uh, protected by, I mean, protected by law so strident in Washington you can barely fire a government employee. The left thinks long term. They strategize. They orchestrate. They know what they're trying to do. They orchestrate. So back to Barr, what I wanted to say, and I am no it's longer than my first five, but I had to lay those pieces of the story down to get the point I want to make. There's been a story out that is now over 2,000 ex-employees of the Department of Justice have signed some petition, a petition, I guess it is, uh, demanding, actually condemning Attorney General Barr for with changing the Stone sentencing recommendation, the Roger Stone sentencing recommendation, and urging that he resign because his actions were so egregious. But as I tell you, the left is forever and a day. They orchestrate, they manipulate. Nothing you ever see out of the American left. Take this to the bank. Nothing you ever see out of the American left is due to honest, organic reaction. Everything about them is manipulation, contortion, misleading, deception, and often pre-planned. In this particular case, that organization that you know popped up and described itself this it was a group called protect democracy and the left manages to think up all these happy sounding names like protect democracy this is a group protect democracy nice sounding as it is and gee you think it's the swellest thing ever this is simply a left-wing front group created in early 2017 so long before anything happened with Barr and Stone and all of that created in early 2017 as an ex as part of an extensive anti-Trump operation managed by left-wing tech billionaire Pierre Omidar or Omidyar the founder of eBay so a left-wing billionaire created protect democracy in early 2017 and they're the ones who rose up and they were, they were created just to be anti-Trump to fight Trump at every step of the way fight everything he does so these people funded by a billionaire and I'll tell you in a moment who advises them advised by other anti-Trump left-wingers this is a group that tried to assert itself as this innocent nonpartisan, do-good group stepping up and saying we've got to stop this you know Attorney General Barr and President Trump are just running roughshod over the Constitution and over the role of the Department of Justice and, and Attorney General Barr must resign it is all left-wing money shouldn't surprise you but it is worthy of keeping in mind when you recognize how effective groups like this and petitions like this are unless we call them out people in you know who have busy lives I don't mean to imply Americans who aren't very bright I just mean Americans who are busy who have you know a family and husband or wife and kids and a job and community commitments and all sorts of activities they see a headline that says, oh, yeah, Protect Democracy came out. 2,000 former Justice Department employees are all denouncing, wow, Barr must be a really bad guy after all. The left recognizes that the kinds of things they do actually are effective with some segment of America, some segment of the American population who isn't going to dive in and understand it's all just left-wing propaganda. They are not thinking there's anything wrong with Attorney General Barr actually saying that he expects the attorneys in the department who work for him, who have been told ahead of time, were deciding on this approach in this case, 
who go rogue, ignore him, ignore this, the power structure in the DOJ, and go for the maximum sentence for a guy who, uh, you know, is just a, a minor player in the grand scheme of life. And nothing Roger Stone did, to be clear, nothing Roger Stone did had anything to do with the non-existent Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Nothing. Nothing. It's just someone Mueller was able to find. So I want to wrap up the first five. And Okay, so it's the first 15. There you go. I want to wrap up by saying it's really important in this election year and as we look in 2020 moving forward, we have so many different things to be concerned about to recognize how often the left uses this kind of tactic to mislead America. Actually, I want to, um, I do want to hit another uh, couple points about this. So I'm not ending the first five, because two more points about this. One is important to recognize that part of what the left is trying to do in attacking Attorney General Barr and trying to delegitimize him is to delegitimize before it's even out the results of the Durham investigation. You know, U.S. Attorney Durham assigned by Attorney General Barr to try to get at the root, the predicate, the genesis of the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax. The left is scared out of their minds with the idea that Durham is actually going to come up with names, incidents, potential criminal charges, potential indictments against the cabal, and it's a large cabal inside the Department of Justice and the FBI that orchestrated the entire Trump-Russia collusion. That's where Durham is headed. That's his job. And if anything, the left hopes that they can, by this ongoing attempt to delegitimize Attorney General Barr, is to delegitimize the entire Durham investigation, whatever outcome we get from that. And one last thing I'm going to hit about this, since we're on this roll about Attorney General Barr and the Department of Justice, the other thing that should tell you that this left-wing hysteria over Barr's actions, which were completely appropriate, but Attorney General Barr's actions concerning the sentencing recommendation for Roger Stone, is when you think of the things that happened under U.S. Attorney Eric Holder, the U.S. Attorney for President Obama, the, excuse me, the Attorney General, Attorney General Eric Holder under President Obama, when you recognize the things that went, that he did, that were ignored by the media, ignored by the press, ignored by the left-wing mob because they're on the side, the left-wing mob is on the side of Obama and Holder, no such similar mob attack happened by the conservatives. Republicans, conservatives do not conduct themselves the way the left does. Many things happened under the Obama era, under Eric Holder as our attorney general, that could have been the subject of a legitimate, you know, attempt to move people to challenge Obama, to denounce Holder, to suggest maybe Holder should step down. The things that went on inside the, attorney, the Department of Justice under Holder that didn't get any such media hysteria as is now being generated by the Barr thing, I'll name just a few. Under Eric Holder, Fast and Furious, the gun writing authorized by the Department of Justice gun running effort that got American manufactured guns into the hands of Mexican cartels and resulted in the death of a U.S. agent, in fact, several U.S. agents, that gun running operation, illegal and, and, and beside unethical and immoral, illegal, nothing happens. It was clear President Obama was aware of it. Eric Holder was fine with it. He conducted it. He ran it. Everything was fine. Nothing happens to him. Next example. President Obama said out loud numerous times, President Obama said he had no authority whatsoever via executive order 
to do anything about the DACA people, the pe people here in America who have no legal right to be here, but they were brought to America as small children, and they're in a, a little bit of a weird immigration limbo situation. President Obama said, I don't have the executive authority to do this, to say, I hereby give the DACA people uh, citizenship, or I hereby give them a special status, or I hereby whatever he, you know, he said, I have no power to do anything about it. It requires Congress. So, but Holder himself, Holder himself, the Attorney General, the head of Obama's Department of Justice, urged him to use his executive power unconstitutionally, unjustifiably, to give status to the DACA people. Nobody call, and so this is, to be clear, the Attorney General urging the President to act in an unconstitutional manner, and he did it, and he executed on the, on the unconstitutional executive order, and Republicans, as usual, sat on their hands, and nothing ever happened. There was not the mob that we have to look at whenever a conservative does something, even when they do something right, the left-wing mob, left-wing Democrat media mob comes up with some way to attack. We also had Eric Holder and his Department of Justice completely dismiss the entire lowest learner internal revenue um, service targeting of conservative groups, I mean, blatantly discriminating against conservative political groups, none of that resulted in a demand to that, you know, Holder should resign. None of that resulted in Holder should be impeached. None of that. And I just want to keep those examples in mind when somebody tells you, keep those facts in mind and those examples in mind, when someone tells you that Attorney General Barr needs to go, I'm sorry, folks, Barr is doing his job, frankly, brilliantly. And that is my first five, which is really first 20, but there you go. It's, what I have, you know, it's a funny thing, actually, a good thing in my show. When I don't have a guest, I'm a little more, you know, I, I mean, it still is my show, and I don't have commercial breaks, so I can just talk as like, long as I want anything. And I do recognize I kind of like the idea of first five and keeping it to first five, but I really wanted to hit those points today in the 20-minute first five. But turning now to the next thing I want to talk with you about, I call this uh, bankrupting uh, the Boy Scouts. Many people saw that actually it was either late, I think it was late Monday night or this morning, uh, the Boy Scouts fire, uh, filed for bankruptcy. The Boy Scouts of America have been in existence over 100 years. They filed for bankruptcy. They have, as you likely know, been entangled in litigation uh, over the years, some of it involving, much of it involving claims of sex abuse boys, young men, and, and you know, some teenagers and some young, I mean, young boys, members of the Boy Scouts had sued, their families had sued the Boy Scouts over sexual abuse that occurred at the hands of somebody within the Boy Scout organization and the potential damages that were going to be found against, I mean, the, the potential for how much if all these suits are successful and you get a jury to agree and you get awards against the Boy Scouts, Literally, the Boy Scouts of America were forced to file bankruptcy because of the amount of damages they face in these cases. And so, I'll tell you a couple of things. Some of these cases, in fact, many of them, precede the time that the Boy Scouts of America decided they have two relevant decisions that were made in recent years relating to the Boy Scouts. Uh, one had to do with a decision of the Boy Scouts to admit, to permit Boy Scout leaders 
to be gay, to have adult men who are gay be Boy Scout leaders. That decision was uh, made by the Boy Scouts in 2015, I think it was. Previous to that, the Boy Scouts had decided that they would admit boys, members of the Boy Scouts, whether they're, you know, I assume middle, middle school, high school age boys, uh, to the Boy Scouts who are gay. So the Boy Scouts had opened their organization to gay members, you know, junior high school, high school age, and as well as uh, gay Boy Scout leaders. Previous to that decision, though, previous to both those decisions, the Boy Scouts had already incurred uh, lawsuits. There had been numerous lawsuits against the Boy Scouts about sexual abuse by male Boy Scout leaders against boys when they, obviously, when they're when the parents aren't around, the families aren't around, you picture Boy Scout camping trips or the two-week camping that uh, or longer periods of time boys go away to Boy Scout camps. But there were thousands of cases, thousands and thousands of individual litigation by boys, and some of them now grown, but they're suing about what happened when they were children or teenagers, suing the Boy Scouts and claiming they were victims of sex abuse at the hands of male Boy Scout leaders. Now, the fact that those, or those incidences, which those boys are suing over, they're obviously suing over claims made by, made against someone, or several someones in the Boy Scouts, who at least you could characterize as pedophiles, people who engage in sexual conduct with children. That's what pedophiles are. So you have, you had male Boy Scout leaders taking Boy Scouts, young minors, on camping trips and engaging in pedophile pedophilia, engaging in sexual conduct with these boys. Many of the boys, you know, emotionally damaged, didn't want to tell their parents. Their parents had told them to respect and honor and love the Boy Scouts. So those cases were piling up. And then the Boy Scouts recognizing, you gotta recognize, they had those cases, they recognized the problem, and much like some of the dioceses in the Catholic Church, the answer or the reaction of the Boy Scouts was to hide it, to cover it up, to try to settle it, to do something other than deal openly with the problem, find out who the wrongdoers were, get them the heck out of the Boy Scouts, and, and maybe get them prosecuted if, if the facts were justifying prosecution. But the Boy Scouts tried to hide it, and they did not affirmatively step up as they should have and said, you know what, we are an organization here that are trying to advance the lives of young boys, trying to teach and instill morals and values and all the good things Boy Scouts do. So the Boy Scouts had a hard enough time before they openly accepted gay scout leaders. They had pedophiles for scout leaders. Then they had openly gay scout leaders. And the, pile, the uh, number of cases and the potential damages piled up and piled up and piled up to the point the Boy Scouts had to declare bankruptcy. And I saw a number recently, it's very, very interesting to tell you. The Boy Scouts, uh, you would think would be a relatively, um, you know, they've been around 100 years. Uh, you know, a lot of churches and other people supported them. Um, I will tell you just one example. Uh, the Delaware Boy Scouts of America early Tuesday uh, filed listed assets when they did their bankruptcy filing, listed assets of zero to $50,000 uh, that they had available and liabilities of $100 million to $500 million. 
pretty big numbers. There was another number, though, and I guess I'm not going to find it quickly, but another number where they talk about the overall. I mean, there are other cases in which they have lawyers who've collected groups of boys uh, as their clients. And so I don't think it's, a, it's not a class action, but there are lawyers specializing in taking an individual case on behalf of boys against the Boy Scouts. They had another one. Uh, in, a, uh, in fact, there was a verdict in a Portland courtroom, uh, a verdict of $19.9 million against the, the Boy Scouts in 2010 on behalf of one man who was sexually abused as a boy in the 1980s. And, you know, the show is about preserving America. The show is about being able to talk about the issues that face America. The show is about the idea of preserving not just the legal structure of America, you know, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the rule of law. It's also about preserving the moral fabric, the fiber, the culture of our country. Let me ask you, if you were the parent, say you had, you know, three teenage daughters and they were part of Girl Scouts and they love camping trips. And by the way, I love Girl Scouts. I was a Girl Scout for a long time, love camping. Main reason I stayed a Girl Scout, love camping. But suppose that your daughters came home and say, hey, the coolest thing, our Girl Scout troop has a new a plan for a big camping trip. We're all gonna go camping. And we found a new leader for our troop, a group of leaders. We found these guys in this local college, and you're in a college town, this local fraternity. We got three fraternity guys, you know, ages you know, 19, 20, and 21, and, and they, these, uh, boy, these uh, fraternity bros, they, turns out they love camping, and they wanna be our Girl Scout leaders. And so, hey, what do you think, Mom and Dad? What about our troop of 12 young girls going out camping for two weeks with guys who are in the local fraternity, 19, 20, 21 years old. Isn't that a great idea? Now, I'm gonna tell you, I make that analogy to, I am making that analogy to make a point. Every parent in America would say to their daughters, no, honey, you're not going to go, you're not gonna have a bunch of girls going camping in the woods with a bunch of, you know, yahoos from the local fraternity in the college as your, as your Girl Scout leaders. No, we're smarter than that. You know, we, we understand this is not wise. They may be nice men, they may actually love camping, but this is not the way that Girl Scouts functions. You don't have Girl Scouts going camping and being led by a group of leaders who are a bunch of straight guys you know, in their, even if they're 30-year-old guys, a bunch of straight guys, a, you know, a bunch of 30-year-olds in your town, you know, a bunch of straight guys, unmarried guys, hey, we'd love, to, we'd love to take the girls camping, you would know better. You would say, no, actually, that, that's not good. Because you recognize you're sending your child off in the woods, unsupervised, no other adults around, with people who may be sexually interested in them. You would figure this out. It's not hard. It's the same thing for the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts have to be able to say that they are gonna have Boy Scout troops that are led by people who will take these boys out in the woods camping for weeks and you know, a weekend or weeks on end. And you don't wanna have people who are the leaders of those Boy Scout troops be people who may be sexually interested in these young boys. 
whether they are pedophiles, whether they are just gay men, whether they are a gay scoutmaster who swears that, you know, he's, he's a gay guy, but he's not going to do anything to these boys in this camping trip. You can use common sense for the same reason you wouldn't have your daughter's Girl Scout troop out the door with, with a, you know, three 30-year-old straight guys taking him camping. You wouldn't have, you, you shouldn't have the Boy Scouts agreeing that men who are pedophiles or men who are sexually interested in men should not be taking the boys camping. This is not hard. But I have to tell you folks, I even debated this morning covering this story in the show because I can't tell you how many people, I mean, my show is growing, it's got a great audience, and I have a lot of my political buddies telling me, look, stay away from the LGBTQ issues. Just stay away. They're too controversial. You know, people will get turned off. People will get upset. Stay away from the issues that are potentially too controversial because it could hurt your show. But I got to tell you folks, being silent is exactly what the LGBTQ mafia wants. When people, I read in reading about this Boy Scout story, read the Fox News story, read the LA Times story, read other mainstreamish outlets covering the story of the Boy Scouts filing bankruptcy precisely due to the fact that they don't have enough money to pay off all of these lawsuits against the Boy Scouts and the lawsuits are about sexual abuse at the hands of men who run Boy Scout troops. And not one of those articles even mentioned, even mentioned the fact that obviously these leaders, some of these leaders who committed this are pedophiles, that it may have been a mistake for the Boy Scouts to agree to have gay scoutmasters taking over troops. It's like they can talk about the sexual abuse cases creating liability that the Boy Scouts cannot afford, but they can't talk about how we got here. H how is this? How could we get to the point where you have these kind of cases being, um, you know, how factually did we get there? Now, I'm not saying, I will say, the Boy Scouts, any organization in this country today, you have to be very, very careful with young people. You have to protect them. You have to look, you have to vet people. You're going to agree to lead these troops. It's gonna take these kids camping. You've gotta look at who they are, what they've done, what their backgrounds are. But the idea as a blanket matter, as the, the Boy Scouts of America decided, due to LGBTQ pressure, that they needed to agree to have gay scout leaders and that somehow that was going to make their organization stronger, more inclusive, better, more justified. This is, this is pure insanity. And the insanity in part comes, or another aspect of the insanity is that even Articles talking about, gee whiz, Boy Scouts of America, a revered organization, is filing bankruptcy because of all the sex abuse cases against it. And no, no one in these articles says, really, well, where did the sex abuse come from? Who, who's conducting this? I mean, they're not talking about, you know, at the headquarters of the Boy Scout organization and some female secretary being sexually abused by a guy. They're talking about adult men sexually abusing children. And yet we can't talk about that. You can't point out why that might, this might have been a problem. It's the same problem you have when you have the transgender issue where you have people arguing that men or boys who have male anatomy ought to be able to go use the showers, the locker rooms, everything else they want to, that the girls are assigned to girls because they identify as a girl. I mean, 
when the, those cases and arguments first came out, I thought, is anyone going to state the obvious that there are going to be boys who say, oh yeah, yeah, I identify as a girl, and they're going to use the girls' locker rooms and showers and changing rooms and restrooms and end up sexually assaulting girls, which happens, which we report these cases, and of course, immediately the left goes, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous, that's overblown, okay, a tiny little percent. There's no reason to let people who have male anatomy use a restroom that is reserved for girls and women. There's no reason they have to use the showers. There's no reason they have to use the locker rooms. There's no reason to let a male with male anatomy use the facilities assigned to girls. But what I just said is about as common sense as two plus two is four, but it's practically forbidden to say in this country, we're getting to the point you can barely even argue these issues, but people have to speak out. The Boy Scouts, I'm terribly sorry they're bankrupt. I wish I could straighten out these things, but it is a crazy, crazy world we live in that we can have boys and the sex abuse uh, cases causing Boy Scout troop, the Boy Scouts of America to file bankruptcy, but nobody better talk about why. Well, right here, America Can We Talk, we talk about why. Okay, one more story I want to hit today. This I, I called it Feminine Exit. I got to tell you, people, in this year 2020, I'm going to work very hard to try to not just tell you news stories of the day and my commentary and you know analysis. I want to be making the argument over and over on for women, for minorities, for everyone that leftist ideas hurt people. Left-wing ideas destroy cities. Left-wing ideas destroy cities and families and schools and communities and neighborhoods and the Boy Scouts and, and everything they touch. Leftist ideas hurt people. And so I say, instead of, and the left claims to own the women's vote. Nancy Pelosi, oh, women, yeah, women are with us. Yeah, with the women's vote, that's us. Now, I tell you that we do have an issue with women. When you look at polling, they keep saying, well, women are, you know, kind of trending away, thinking they might vote um, Democrat this time. And there has been a trend over several years to have the women's vote go more and more to the left. But I think that's a result. I mean, abortion's one issue, which we've talked about many times in the show. We'll probably talk about it again. We're not talking about it today. Today, I just want to talk about what exactly is it that the left wing in this world, the radical left, in fact, the left of America, the Democrat Party, I don't even like to use the name Democrat Party. They really have been overtaken by leftists, by radical leftism, and by socialism. And I want to ask you seriously, you tell me, what is it the leftists propose that actually helps women? What? What policy? So I'm hit Feminex, I'm going to hit uh, three stories on this. One is, I'm going to start with Boy Scouts. I, I wrote Bail Reform, Boy Scouts, and Boards. But I'm going to start with the Boy Scouts. People, you know very well, if your sweet son wanted to join the Boy Scouts and love camping, which we, I say, in our house growing up, you know, my sister and I were Girl Scouts. My brother was a Boy Scout. We went camping all the time. It was a big thing. It was great fun, great wholesome activity. But if your sweet son came to you and said, I really want to join Boy Scouts, I love this troop, and they're going to go camping, I want to go camping with them, I want to go to you know, Jamboree this summer, I want to go to Boy Scout camp for the summer, you know, most parents just say, hey, that's great. I mean, you know, it's wholesome, it's outdoors, it's learning skills, learning survival skills, learning morals, learning lots of things. But if your son 
came to you and said that, and then you went to, you know, connect him with a troop or sign him up, whatever, and you realize that the Boy Scout troop was run by two gay men, and they were going to be the ones taking your son camping all summer. I know in your heart, whether you think it's better to be politically correct and be silent, what you'd be thinking is, I'm not, this is not the right troop. This, what, what are we doing here? Can't we find a troop with like guys, with, with men who are married to women? Can't we find a troop like that? This has become, what I just said, is so logical, but it's also become almost impossible to say. So on my feminexit thing, in the privacy of your own home, not where you're trying to answer in front of other people, whether you're trying to explain your position to a neighbor who's a, a leftist, but you ask yourself, why does the left push for things like gay Boy Scout leaders. Why? Why does the why would that have been something that the left pushed so hard? There's no good reason for it. There is no good reason to agree to have gay Boy Scout leaders. But the left not only do they push it and they succeeded in just pressuring the Boy Scouts of America to agree to this policy, but now we're facing this collapse of the Boy Scouts, financial collapse and the mainstream news talking about it can't even talk about the problem. Barely talks about pedophilia. Barely talks about gay scout leaders being a problem. So, Feminexit ladies, you tell me, what is the reason that this is a good plan for you and your children, your son? Because the answer is most parents would say, uh, no thanks, don't even think I want that. On bail reform, another huge, so the first point on Feminexit, the LGBTQ agenda from having boys compete against your daughter when she's doing a track meet in high school and can't possibly beat the boy, to having males with male anatomy joining your daughter in the shower at public school, to having gay Boy Scout leaders taking your son camping for the summer, I don't think it's actually a hard question. I think that common sense tells you these are not wise moves. You can be loving, you can be accepting, you can agree that adults in this country have the right to live their life any way they want. They have the right to marry other adults, marry some of the same sex, of the opposite sex. That's a right, you can do that as an adult. Why would the left push though for gay scout leaders for letting men or boys use girls' locker rooms and girls' showers there is no reason for it except the left has been swept up in pushing the LGBTQ, especially the transgender agenda in this country, and so few people stand up against it. Number two on this Feminexit mission, this idea of bail reform. In New York City, just at, you know, bail reform, if you're not following this issue, bail reform is a trendy left-wing thing to do. Bail reform says that we have been so cruel in our criminal justice system in this country that when we arrest people and then they have to either post bail to get out until their trial date or they have to sit in jail until their trial date, that this policy has hurt low-income Americans because they can't afford to make bail and if they sit in jail waiting for their trial date, they lose their job. And, or they have other things happen to them because they aren't fulfilling their societal responsibilities. But the answer to the left is basically got rid of bail. So in New York City, just one, no, two stories out of New York City. In New York City, which has gone through bail reform, so they basically, almost everyone, I was just reading a story about the New York City, uh, the attorney there and a, ne the, a neighboring county, saying they basically, after arrests and processing, so they're gonna prosecute someone, they don't impose bail for hardly anything.
I mean, for murder, I guess they do. And hopefully they'll hold them until the trial date for murder, for serious violence. But for most crimes, they don't. So in New York City, the New York City subway thief, that's the name they gave this guy. But this guy who's now been arrested 139 times in New York City, 139. He, they're calling him the subway uh, thief. He's immediately released after being um, arrested again. For, he's been swiping hundreds of dollars from unsuspecting subway um, commuters. So he's, you know, he's taking money. And he's been arrested 139 times, but he made a statement to the media after this last time. His statement? Bail reform. It's lit. L-I-T lit. He's saying, so cool. I've been arrested 139 times, nothing happens to me. You tell me, people, if this is the kind of country you want to have. Abandonment of the rule of law is what is happening. And in New York City, they've had a significant spike in serious crimes, in shootings, other major crimes. The ba they're up nearly 30% more shootings uh, as at this start of 2020, up 30% more shootings um, as uh, last time. This is from the uh, New York Police Department official statistics. Serious crime increased in five of the seven categories. Um, they had recorded 70 shooting incidents in which at least one person was injured, up 27.3% from uh, last year at this time. And the New York police, uh, um, let me give you a few more, because it's not like you know they had two more people jaywalking. Um, they also had the number of shooting victims, 83, grew at even greater pace, up 40.7%. Uh, from a year ago. Robberies up by 35% from over a year ago. Burglaries, grand larcenies, felony assaults all up 18%, 10%, 8%. Okay, so I'm getting around to say that New York sources, New York Police Department, the NYPD blames the alarming situation on the state's controversial new bail reform law, which mandates the release of most defendants charged with misdemeanors and felonies that are considered nonviolent. And so again, my feminine exit thing. And the reason I'm getting on this, because people, we have an election this year, and there are women who think that somehow they're showing compassion. They're showing enlightenment. They're more enlightened. They're more conscientious. They care more. And so the left's policies are, they, t they are told that Democrat policies, leftist policies are better for women. They're helping women. Isn't it great? They're helping women. The other one I can't even get to, but we've talked about many times, but in this last segment is borders. When you read the platform of the Democrat president, uh, candidate, uh, president excuse me, the Democrat presidential candidates, nearly all of them are more or less for abandoning the border, for abandoning border security. They don't want a wall built. They want to let more people in. They want to find an immediate path to citizenship for everybody who's here. It is a radical abandonment of the identity of America, of the borders of America, of the idea of citizenship, and that everyone here has to have some legal right to be here. The left has abandoned the idea of America, abandoned the idea that borders matter. So in summary, in this Feminexit segment, I want to just tell you, if you care about America, if you care about your children living in a safe country, if you care about feeling safe on the cities in the streets of New York, and forget it, if you don't live in New York, you can think, well, what do I care? They're all crazy backies. But this is popular all around the country. This bail reform idea of the leftists is just saying basically, 
people break the law, they get arrested. As long as they didn't hurt anybody or you know flatten somebody along the way, they're just let out again. And they commit crime over and over and over and over. And crime stats are up. And the police department says, we know why they're up, because that's idiotic bail reform. Find me a Democrat who will criticize it. Find me a Democrat who says, you know, this isn't really working out like we planned. So in wrapping up this segment, I want to say on Feminexit, when you are talking to your friends about politics, when you're thinking about politics, ask yourself, what exactly is it? Besides that the left claims they own the women's vote, and they do claim that, what is it they're doing that's actually helping women? Making the streets of our cities less safe, refusing to enforce the law, refusing to enforce the border, encouraging more and more people to enter America illegally, and then through their New Way Act, stay here illegally. They're, they're never going to leave. They're never going to be made to leave if the Democrats run. And then even the things about the Boy Scouts, is that really the world you want to live in, where we all deny human reality. We, we deny the reality of you know, men and women and they get different restrooms because their anatomy is different. Or do we deny the reality of the idea that you really would not encourage the local frat boys from local college to take your daughter's Girl Scout troop camping and for the same reason you really wouldn't be that excited about having a gay scoutmaster take a troop of small boys camping in the woods for a week. We're allowed to use common sense and we're allowed to attack the ideas of the left because they lack common sense. They actually, as I say, the policies of the left hurt the American people. And now I'll close out the show, as I do always do, by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. To start with our first story, we had orchestrated bar brawl, why it matters, a public letter. You think, oh my gosh, it's real. And this, I, when I wrote this, signed by 1100, is over 2,000 now. DOJ officials denouncing bar. The judges held a conference. This is terrible. Don't be distracted by these squirrels. You know, that kind of, you get distracted by something the left does, like pointing at a squirrel, and the dog goes running after the squirrel instead of paying attention. Yeah, don't be like that. These reflect a preset PR plan being executed by deep state mainstream media ruling class operators who are extremely nervous about Barr and Durham. The Barr-Durham investigation into the predicate for the deep state spying on the Trump campaign that turned into a coup against the president. This is the most important investigation in the history of America. The Obama DOJ FBI shredded the ideal of impartial justice under law. They undergirded, which, which is undergirded by respect for truth. If accountability is not imposed via Barr and Durham, America may not recover. The rule of law will be destroyed. On bankrupting the Boy Scouts, the Boy Scouts of America bankrupt is not surprising. Undetected pedophiles, a long-standing problem made worse by Boy Scout Leader of America leadership early on, caved to the militant LGBT agenda for gay scoutmasters. Fox News story and LA Times and others on the Boy Scouts of America bankruptcy doesn't say anything about the nature of the sex abuse lawsuits that forced the bankruptcy filing, but they undoubtedly include sex abuse of young boys, as all it is, by gay and pedophile scoutmasters. The bigger picture issue. The Boy Scouts were founded as a, in part based on Christianity and religion. The bigger picture issue, symbols of love for God and country and traditional morality are always targeted by the left, but we're not supposed to talk about that, but we do on this show. Americans can rise to reclaim their culture, but will they? And finally on Feminexit, you ask yourself, we're on to Feminexit and I guess we got out of order here. 
There we go. On Feminexit, uh, bail reform, Boy Scouts and Borders, women of America, please pay attention. Walk away from the American left. Bail reform, allegedly compassionate by the left, is plainly failing. Crime is increasing. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, do you want your Girl Scout daughters led on a camping trip by representatives of a local frat house? For the same reason you want your Boy Scout son led on a camping trip by an openly gay scoutmaster. Answering no to both questions is common sense, but it's not allowed by leftists and feminists and the LGBT militants. Borders, this open borders, Anybody, anytime, seem like a good idea for your home or for your country. Feminists are just leftists. Women are not drawn to leftists. Therefore, femin exit. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for listening. Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-